this episode of Once Removed with Connor and Vince. Are you ready to get your mind freaking blown by our amazing conversations? Hit him with it, Vince. Hey. Hey. Today is the day we're talking about <laughs> paying rent. Paying the bills. We're both kind of bad at it. <laughs> I thought today would be a more chill way. We just talk about jobs we've had in the past, even if it's first jobs, whatever. We just go through history. And then what that means for us now living in the real world and how we have to pay the bills and how we have to pay rent and do all this and that. and How hard it is living in the largest cities <laughs> in the country. So, yeah. 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 Sounds like a bummer, doesn't it? It sounds it sounds like a bit of a bummer, eh? Yeah, man. Especially right now with COVID going on. That's really bit me in the booty with um with some jobs I've had. And yeah, we'll get into that. We will get into that. So Vince, what was your first job? What was your first job ever? Yeah. Wow. My first job ever was at as a lifeguard at the public pool, outdoor pool, on the beach in Long Beach, California, where I practiced for water polo and swim while I was in high school. And so right as high school ended that summer before college, I got a job as a lifeguard there and also like a swim instructor, and I worked there for the summer. Dang. How about you, Connor? Uh, my first, I guess you could say my first job because I was paid to do, like, theater before I had an actual job, it was, I got paid like 200 bucks to do a role, which I look back on. They gypped me so hard. <laughs> Four week rehearsal, I got 200 <laughs> bucks. But a, hey, a sixth grader, Yikes. I was like, yes, sir. I was having a good time. <laughs> but uh, I guess besides that, my first ever real job, I was a busser at a restaurant in Virginia Beach. And it became uh it became my summer job uh, in covid god this is showing i've realized now how long covid has been happening because wow two yeah two years i i had a what? no wait <laughs> i need to go back I'm on you my go through an existential dude, crisis dude i'm having an existential now. crisis my, my first job it Hold hold up. Hold up. How old were you? I'm really trying to like sit back and remember when I had this job. I think it was the summer in between my junior and senior year. That sounds about right. Yeah, that that sounds right. And I guess yeah, that's when co- that's exactly when COVID started and I was one of the first people they hired. Yeah. One of the first new people this restaurant hired. But I'm trying to think because I did have a job. I I had a job before then, and it was at a theater. I was I was running uh, lights and sound, literally just oh, pressing yeah. buttons for one show. And I was on payroll. I'm still technically an employee at that theater, but I just never had a. You are. I think I've <laughs> never signed anything away from that. I've never. I don't think I've ever been officially fired. I've. I just. I was hourly. I was not like I do not get paid now from them. But he actually asked me. the The boss asked me 
when I moved up here, he didn't know if I moved, and he was like, hey, do you want to work for us again? And I was like, that would have been awesome, but no. So, I, yeah, I was, a bus, I was the bus boy, and I really wanted to be a server because that's where all the money is, of course, but I had... I wasn't, I wasn't old enough. You have to be 18 to be a server. Yeah. And yeah. 21 to be a bartender. So I... Yeah, I just sucked it up for a couple months and then turned 18, and I, lo- I took talked to the manager. I was like, hey, I'm old enough. And he was like, too bad. <laughs> you got to wait. And I was like, ah, lovely. <laughs> and then I There's quit for school because I, I had school. What What was your... What was your next job? What because uh, I'm just going in you know, progression of jobs and money yeah. and uh, well, this is just a kind of shoot the poop kind of day kind of kind of episode. Shoot, We're just talking. Shoot the poop. Shoot the poop. You know, I yeah. To dial it back first too, because you brought up that like early job you had when you were in what sixth grade? You said I think that six or seven. What, yeah, one I had. Yeah, I must have been in like fifth grade, and I got a part. I, I had a couple little acting jobs when I was like ten, mm-hmm. and. One of them was on investigative discovery or investigation discovery or something. It was the pilot episode of this show called Alaska Ice Cold Killers. <laughs> and I played an Alaskan ser- serial killer when he was a child. And my actual real-life father played the dad of this serial killer in the scene in which I had to stutter very heavily and I was writing something with my left hand. And it was like <laughs> the 1960s. And he was like yelling at me and saying, "It's like it's not the Lord's will for you to write with your left hand." Uh. <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm so sorry, Dad, or whatever." And yeah, I got like five hundred dollars for that. And immediately, like the next week, I put my feet up against the window of my parents' car and shattered the entire thing. <laughs> and they made me pay to fix it, and the, it was five hundred dollars. And so I lost you? all the money I had earned. I was like 10 or 11. I knew better. All right. I knew better. Yeah. All right. That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's hilarious. I, I think, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, uh, that's so unfortunate, bro. Yeah. Actually, so wait, that happened you, twice. I'll, I'll, so you put, you just no, put your feet, did you kick the windshield? What did you do? No, I was sitting, I was like waiting for maybe my dad or my mom to drive me somewhere and I was sitting in the passenger seat of the front and I was just kicking back and my feet were up against the windshield and I just kind of put some pressure on them. I was like stretching maybe and uh, the whole thing just like cracked all across the board and I was like, oh crap, <laughs> that can't be good. I'm wondering, because in my mind, windshields aren't easy to break. How did no, your 10-year-old really. body do that? You were a taller a, kid. Like grown boy. But was grown yeah. boy. <laughs> That's yeah. Great. You really you pulled the Pineapple Express and just have you seen that movie? I have, but it's been a while, so I, yeah. I vaguely remember. They like that. go to kick out the front um, windshield and his foot just goes straight through and gets caught. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's like the no, yeah, best not joke that in bad. The movie. I didn't break you through. Just cracked I just cracked it. the thing. Okay. And alternatively, to keep it quick, I had another acting job where I got paid like 100 or 200 maybe around the same time. And you know those those little things you insert in the toilet to make it smell better? Yeah. Um, well, the one in my bathroom had been in there for a while or something and it was starting to smell bad. And like after this acting job had happened, I got aggressively angry with it for smelling bad. And so I just threw it in the toilet and flushed it down. And I broke the pipe and it cost 150 to fix it. And wow. so yet again, my paycheck literally went down the drain <laughs> that time. 
<laughs> and I didn't. I haven't acted since. That's so that was like brutal. That's the most that unfortunate thing I've ever heard. That's hilarious. Oh my yeah. god! You. Re- <laughs> <laughs> most people spend their first big paycheck on drugs, yeah. cars, Do Vince, they? Do they a windshield, really? and. <laughs> I'm talking big paychecks, yeah. Like if you got a check, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm if you got a check for a million dollars, what would you buy first? Well, I didn't. I wouldn't think it'd be like, yeah. Most people spend it on drugs and cars. <laughs> it's like most people. You get. <laughs> you get. I got a thousand dollars. Let me go buy drugs. Let me get some meth. I know. I, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm jumping straight to heroin. I hate to sound holier than thou, but at this point in my financial journey, I would probably, if I got a big paycheck, I would, I would pay off my debt, my college loans. I would just pour it into that. So that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I've actually, I've thought about that too. If I, if I got a role, like these freaking Spider-Man roles, and he got so much money, even if I got a million dollars, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna put five hundred thousand dollars away. It's gone. Savings done. Yeah, yeah. And then I have five hundred thousand dollars to spend. Like, also, that's, that's nice. five hundred months of rent. <laughs> that's oh, forget rent, man. You buy, yeah. you buy when you got that. Get oh, a down well, I payment. Get buy. A, I live in New York. I might move I to know, a better get spot. A, get a condo. But that's um, true. I mean, I don't know. You think you could put a down payment on like a, a two bed condo? Why would I want to do looking that? Looking over Central Park, dude. Because I, it, that would cost five hundred thousand dollars. That's good. Well, yeah, but it's it's real estate, so it's actual an asset you have, and you're not just paying rent to somebody. It I mean, goes towards maybe. them, you know. Because when you pay your mortgage, you're basically you're still paying like yourself effectively, right? Because that all that money is retained by you. This is like my. This is my financial advice. This is financial right advice. Now, um, Buy, if you got a big paycheck, if you had a million dollars, I would show up at your door, not to take any of your money. I would say, stop renting and buy something and get a bunch of roommates and have them pay rent to you because then you'll oh, make money. Oh, like that. That's what oh, our, that's different. That's you, what our cousin okay. Grant did. Oh, Grant's a very Well, smart you don't guy. just buy a flat. Um, yeah, that's smart. smart. He's yeah, I could, do, I could do that. I That's, that's different. That's... I would do that. Yeah, I'll see. I'm I'm in the industry of either making a lot of money or none. <laughs> <laughs> I either make unfathomable yeah. amounts of money or I make literally a hundred dollars a week. <laughs> that's um, <laughs> that's how it is. <laughs> yeah, um, oh yikes! Boomer bust economy. Boomer, but that kind of gets into it, doesn't it? That does a it's little just, bit. I mean, <laughs> what how? how you pay okay so up here i moved up initially and my parents were like we'll help you but as soon as you really get on your feet then we're gonna back off and Hmm. there's a lot to the story that happened so if my parents listen sorry i'm excluding some things that happened (laughs) that sounds like we had a falling out (laughs) we did not i love my parents but um they they were just like okay you're on your own now at one point, they were just like, you're, okay, you're on your own. And I was like, cool. And yeah. the summer before I moved, I was a server at the same restaurant that I was a busser at. And I got a lot of serving experience, and I saved up a lot of money. I saved up about 
I believe eight thousand dollars, and which is good, which is really good, and that's that can that's a little bit of padding to be able to sit and find a job and work on something creative while trying to find a job instead of like I have to find a job or I have absolutely nothing, and I did have that padding, yeah. and then my mom. Not kidding. My mom got me a job in New York, and it sounds like I'm a little mama's boy. But what happened? Mom we helped me. <laughs> I my parents came up to see Miss Doubtfire with some friends, and the friends happened to be the writer of Doubtfire. <laughs> so I saw I saw Miss Doubtfire wild. with the writer. He was a most wonderful person. His name is Wayne Kirkpatrick. He's the most modest guy like I'll because he's he wrote something rotten beforehand which if musical theater people know is like the most original funny show written in recent times it's hard to come up with something original nowadays and that show was such a breath of fresh air and it was genius and I'll talk to him like wow you really wrote that and he's like yeah 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 I got I'm Tony nominated it's like yeah that's pretty wild (laughs) yeah dude heck yeah um, you are so we, yeah, and my parents, we go to see it and we all met because we were all staying at different spots and we all met in front of the theater, the Stephen Sondheim Theater, where Doubtfires was playing. And we were like, let's go. And it's right in Times Square. And we were like, we don't want to go into Times Square because the restaurants are going to be overpriced. And then we just look across the street. There's this little Belgian bar called BXL Cafe. And we go in and we're, just whatever, having a ball of a time. Well, we're not. We're just talking, hanging out. And then the bartender is also being our server and also handling other people and like was just super busy. And I was I leaned over to my mom and I was like, I should just ask this dude for a job. And she um and I was like laugh because I was kidding. She was like, Yeah, yeah, ha ha ha. And then the dude comes over and starts handing us forks and like napkins and knives and stuff. And, and he's individual, he's being so slow like this, Alex, I love you, dude. But he was so slow with this, like one by one. And my mom looks at him (laughs) and goes, Oh, just give it to me. I'll hand it out and takes it. And he's a French guy. And he's like, you see, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, yeah. And she's like, and he's like, do you need a job? Ha ha ha. And she went, no, but he does. And pointed to me, and <laughs> <laughs> Vince knows my mom, so that's very accurate of her. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah. He was like, have you worked in a restaurant? I was like, yeah, I, I have serving experience and busboy experience. And he was like, awesome. Talk to me when you leave. Talk to me. And I was like, cool. And then I talked to him. No questions. He was like, 10 a.m. Wednesday, you're training. <laughs> <laughs> and I got the job. And here's the Pretty thing awesome. about being a server. It's hard. It's really hard. Not because the work itself is like crazy hard, but because people are mean to you. People truly what? treat servers like bad. And s- most don't. Most do not. But there are some who straight up talk horribly to your face. And I have, oh, I have a story about that. What a lady. She. Oh, dude, this is the worst. Like, I almost moved. I was almost crying. She was so mean. And me and my buddy Tom, this is at the restaurant I worked at in Virginia. My buddy Tom 
is taking them and he had a couple more tables than me and it's near the end of the night and I'm like, dude, I'll take that table. Like, and then we'll both have two. And he was like, cool. And he had already introduced himself and taken their drink orders. And I took the drink orders to them and I was like, oh, hey, so uh, uh, I'll be your server now. We actually got rid of Tom. And she was like, what? I was like, oh, no, no, I'm kidding. I just, I just took the table and she was like, okay. And then they ordered whatever and go out. And then it starts to get a little busier. So uh, we have a couple more people. And she ordered soup, and I forgot her soup. I, I brought out the dude's salad and her meal, and she ordered soup as an appetizer. And I forgot it. And truly, like, yeah, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. And she, I gave her them the food, and she looks at me and nut kidding goes, where's my soup? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Let me get that for you. I literally gave it to her for free. I just made it and gave it to her. And then I get there. Yeah. And the dude she's with, it's got to be her grandson or something. He was like, hey, man, can I, can I get some ranch on, for this salad? And she goes, and he doesn't even have ranch. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and then, so I go, and I, I was like, this, this bitch, oh, my God. And everyone in the restaurant, like, knows. They, when someone is, like, mean, you know. Because everyone talks about it. I'm like, this lady is so mean. And she, she, um, I got her the stuff, got her the check, and I was like, I, I hope you have a great night. She looks at me, and she's like, we will. And then I get up, and I walk away, and I see her get up and go right to the manager, like, booth. And oh she just started what, complaining. I was staying about? away. And there was another server yeah. there. And, like, even if you don't get along with some servers, servers always have each other's back. Like, customer yeah. was wrong. For sure, but um, yeah. So they're talking to the manager, and th- she's talking to the mean manager, and another server, and she leaves like would leave doesn't leave a tip, and I was like saw that coming, and then I hear the manager should hide names whatever, I hear him go, all right, well bring <laughs> Connor over, bring him over here, and I and I I walk over to him. And I have my argument ready. Like, don't fire me. It's not my fault. And he's like, what happened? And I was like, dude, she was just a bitch like the whole time. He was like, all right, cool. Because <laughs> they know there are some people that just suck yeah. and you cannot yeah. satisfy them. And then most of the time people are oh, super nice. Su- like most of the time people are chill. It's cool. They're fine. Yeah. Everyone's fine. Some people are like extra nice. And then some people are mean. And the mean ones stand yeah. out the most. So a lot of servers say like, oh, everyone's so mean to you. No, they're not. But the people who right. are hurt a lot. Like it hurts when someone is mean or rude or whatever to you. You focus on that yeah. more. Yeah, It is fascinating too because as a server, I mean, you rely so much on tips and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so you feel like if you are encountering somebody who's like a, a terrible person or just terrible to serve, uh, you still have to be nice. You still have to do that because yep. like, your wage is dependent on having a good experience with your customers. Whereas like the job I'm working right now for just some extra money, I, I have two jobs right now, but the one across the, I'm working across the street at like the AMC theaters, right? Mm-hmm. On weekends, just cause I want to rack up some extra cash, which you know, but I'm just yeah. saying it like that for, the, for, for you guys out there. Um, you still have customer experiences, right? That are bad like that. There mm-hmm. are tons of, 
you know, crappy people who are like, you know, oh, I, I wanted blah, 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 my hot dog. Like, it, it's just hot dogs and popcorn mostly. So <laughs> I don't know what they're getting in a fuss about. But, but you're, you know, I'm not, it's not a tip position. So you're sort of still, yeah, you care about the customer experience and you're going to put your best foot forward, but you're not like so engrossed in that experience with them because you're waiting for that tip and because it's only like one at a time kind of or like a couple at a time where you're a part of their meal experience in that same way. And so I, I kind of get why that would affect you. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, they do like people, people genuinely suck. And I think there's something to be said about like creative types um, or not creative, not creative types. I mean like people who are trying to make it mm-hmm. in whatever creative industry they're working in. There is such the stereotype that like you're going to be a waiter. If you're an actor working in LA or New York and you're still waiting for those gigs that are going to make you actual money, you're going to be a waiter. Like that's yeah. always the assumption is like that's the job. But whether that waiter, that waiter position is actually like an actual waiter like what you're doing or some other kind of fill in the blank kind of customer service job. Mm-hmm. It is really just weirdly demoralizing every once in a while when you just have um negative experiences because then I think for me I start asking myself was like, well why am I here? Because you know, I, I want to be pursuing what I'm pursuing, and this is literally just to pay the bills right now. Yep. This is literally just for that. Like, I am not getting fulfillment out of this job. And for some people, it does give them fulfillment, and they want to climb the ladder of that job, which is great by all means. I'm not saying those jobs aren't fulfilling. Yeah. I'm just saying for people who want them as just a supplement, then it's not fulfilling. Any and, job that's just um, to pay the tough. bills, you know. Well, that's all it is. It's just yeah. to pay the bills. And I feel like a lot of people... right hate their jobs because like it pays the bills, but you know, you, you don't, yeah. you don't like doing yeah. it. And I feel like, man, here's the thing. A lot of servers, a lot of restaurant environments really suck. It's, it, it's kind of a stereotype oh, how yeah. like kind of toxic it is. Cause there are some people, obviously you get along with some people and people are great, but it's the joke that the kitchen's always mean. The managers are always on your ass. The, other servers are like sleeping with each other and there's always drama. And it's like, yeah, that's true. Like that happens. And that's unfortunate, but it was so funny. I went, I go to, so I was in Virginia and I didn't like the job. I was like, I want to get out and like get a different job. Service is like hard. Cause I didn't really like all of the people I was working with. And sometimes they can pull you down. If anyone who worked with me, <laughs> I probably liked you. Let's say that. There were a very few amount of people who I didn't like. <laughs> but it was like some What were their names? List them out. Yeah, right. It was um <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it just that just wasn't fulfilling. It was great money. And then I come up here and I start working on this this cafe. If you're ever in New York, go to BXL Cafe. It's on 43rd Street, right across from the Steven Sondheim Theater. Tip him. Tip, Tip the him people. Well. Um no, it's a great little spot. And I go and immediately every single employee was awesome. It was awesome. Everyone was yeah. nice. Everyone was great. It was it was so nice because I was like, okay, I like going to work because I like talking to people. Yeah, it can get stressful when it gets busy, but that goes away. And it's always good to have people you like. And I think even as a creative person, who who doesn't want to do this forever obviously i don't want to do this forever i want to do something else 
to not make your life miserable, you have to try enjoying your job. Yeah, you have you to try. Do. You have to like find do. the things you really like about the job and do them. But also don't make your job your focus if that's not what you want to do. Yeah, right, um, right. Well, that's yeah. There's something to that for sure because I think for most people who are like trying to make it or trying to build up a resume or portfolio or this and that and that, and they have that side like part time job that's making them money, make it something that you at least kind of like. Mm-hmm. Because for me, I would honestly hate being a waiter, especially because I'd have to climb the ladder from the bottom because I've never worked a service job. So I'd have to go be a busser, and I'm mm-hmm. 20 years old, and most of the other busers are 16, mm-hmm. and like I don't I don't want to do that, and that doesn't sound fun to me. Whereas I like movies. I like going to the movie theater. And yeah, working at a movie theater kind of has like this oh whole thing like, oh, that'd be like a crappy job to work. But no, I mean, like I get good benefits. I get to go watch free movies and I get half off the concessions and I just go work it on weekends for some extra money. And and like to me, that's an enjoyable enough experience where it's like, yes, I'm just doing this to pay the bills, but it's a good enough fit for me. Find Like try and find something like mm-hmm. that where maybe I'm missing out on some tips here and there and like I could be making more, but I'm just like actually I'm enjoying the kind of environment that I'm in while I'm doing it. So, so that's much better than like wrecking your mental health for, for like some extra money in a, in another job that's kind of just also not contributing to your overall career goals. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, that that doesn't sound worth it to me. No, it's, it's, it's definitely not. And, um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's just tough. It's tough finding that balance. I actually remember when I first moved up here, um, my roommate was like, cause he was like, what job are you going to find? And I was like, I I might be a server. I have serving experience. He said, okay, cool. Be careful. Because he was like, don't work night shifts. I was like, what? He's like, don't work at the night because you're going to sleep all day and then work at night and that's going to be your routine you're not going to have time to Mm. do the things you want to do so i have learned and people can take this as a note suck it up and wake up early because if you if your shift is done at four you have all of that time at night and then you oh 10 to 4 or whatever i guess is a or or 9 to 4 for a server that's what i did it was 10 to 4 and I made good money. I didn't make as good at night, but I made good money. And then also I did have time. I had time to hang out with people, to talk to people, to to write, to do what I wanted to do, go to auditions or film stuff. It's all filming nowadays. But so that's that's a little tidbit of advice is work in the mornings if you're if you're a server and that's a, a big part of what you're doing. Also, what's funny in New York yeah. what's the, so the minimum wage is 15, obviously. And in Virginia, it's like... Same out here in San Diego. Um, and in Virginia, I remember I actually started working and they changed it. So when I first started working, it was seven fifty, And that's I did a job for... I was doing jobs for like 10 bucks and 10 bucks an hour, which looking back, I'm like, how? <laughs> did I, that's awful. <laughs> but um, you were excited about it too. I, I remember was, you were like, I was, dude, I'm getting paid ten bucks, and I'm like, minimum wage out here right now yeah. is like fourteen, dude. Uh, but things are cheaper. Sure. Things are cheaper, and oh yeah, yeah. Um, so it, as a server in Virginia, I learned you get paid minimum wage, but 
your tips, you get tips. Like that's where it all comes. And bussers got paid six fifty. You actually got paid less than minimum wage. So bussers got paid six fifty to and then plus tips. So you had to claim your tips at the end of the day. And no one ever claimed the actual amount of tips, like tax fraud, sorry, but like Sorry, who said that? I would never do that. I would never ever do that. But um Al Capone out here. There were some people some people who didn't claim all their tips so that the taxes couldn't take as much off. And Oh. Yeah. So when you claim all your tips, it's going to take off more money. And uh essentially our as a server, I got more money, but I actually got paid less by the restaurant because my what? Mm-hmm, every time I got a paycheck, it was zero dollars because everything we did was always cash. I'd walk out of there with I, the most I ever made in a night was three hundred and eleven dollars. Walk and that was pooling. Everyone made three hundred and eleven dollars. The most I That's made, great. yeah, the most I made, um, not pooling, just by myself I was probably over four hundred. But you pull, and then people come down, and and it all evens out. So, so I got three eleven, and then your your paycheck is zero. But at at that point, you're like, I just made three hundred dollars. Who cares? And yeah, yeah, for a night. Like and then I I come up solid. here, I come up here to New York, and I start working, and there's no cash tips. There's none. They barely do cash ever. The only cash tips you get are the ones they give you. So the place in Virginia, it's called mm. Rockefellers. Go check it out. It really is nice. It's a, it's a good place, good people, and pretty good food. So yeah, I enjoyed uh, it. Rockefellers would pull out all the cash from the register or something like that. They would pull out the correct amount of cash and give and pool and give people cash to walk away with in hand. This place up here, BXL, you could take away cash at night, but if it was credit, you had to type in how much you made and then also you had to show how much in the pool you have to do a bunch of math because it's also pooled and then on and then every week on Friday you get a paycheck and that paycheck is like uh, I forget how much it is but um, it, it is it is correlate to how much you work but you're also paid 15 an hour on top of tips because taxes in New York are so crazy, you have to get it because it'll take so much. You have to be paid that yeah, that minimum yeah. wage. And then it th- essentially, yeah, the taxes get rid of it. So at Rockefellers, I got paid $2.50 an hour. And my paycheck was always zero. But that's fine because I essentially never got taxed ever. I just had cash in hand. Yeah. Uh, up that's here, actually, that's cannot avoid the taxes. No, and I think that's the thing about where we're both living right now. I'm in San Diego, and you're in New York, and I think I don't know how long I'll be here. I love San Diego, but clearly for, like, writing and film and that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. L.A. or New York are much better fits for those industries. So pretty soon here I might have to move away, heartbreakingly. But uh, all three of those cities are structured, like, very similarly in the sense that high minimum wage compared to the rest of the country because they're very expensive cities to live in. Mm-hmm. And I think I think they're all the same. I think they're all at 15 right now. But yeah. the interesting thing is if you can make your cost of living way lower than average, then 
you get that minimum wage and you get the benefit of having the extra pay without having to really pay it towards what costs extra. And how do you do that? Well, like my strategy was I, I have two roommates literally in my room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there are three people. As you know, there are three people in my room. I live in a triple. And like people are like, what? Oh my gosh. Like you're like, you've done that for three years straight where it's just like you and two other guys like stuck in a room together. Yeah. But my rent is so much lower. Like I'm living in an area that's on this like nice cliffside beach. Like it should be really pricey and it is, but to make it cheaper, I bite the bullet and I live in a cramped area, but it makes it worth it. Like how do I afford to live that's how I do it. And for you, you were able to find like a really solid living situation with somebody who had already put time in living in New York and had had the rent stabilized and kind of stay the same way. And you got to move in and be in that situation. Yeah. And you're paying a lot more than I am, but oh, yeah. you're also paying a lot well below market for New York. And I think that's, yeah. that's something to it too, because like you can only make it work if you like sacrifice certain things like, figure out your priorities and really be willing to like make it work because I mean, if you're not, you're just, you just got to go get that job that pays you a lot and doesn't necessarily tap into the creative stuff because uh, you're not going to make it like past that period, however long it is. Cause it's uncertain of like, you're not really making a lot of money off the stuff that you, you want to be making money off of and yep. living off of. Cause that's just not how it works. That not, that's not how publishing industry works. TV, film, Broadway, it's it's all when it happens, when the opportunity comes, that's when it'll happen, and it won't happen when you want it to because everybody wants it to happen right away. Yeah, yeah. Right? So. It's very rare oh, also when it sh- happens right away. That's like. Shout out to your roommate, too. Shout out to the roommate. Dan, plug. He's, he's, a, he's a great plug guy. Because plug, we're plugging him. Well, what plug for uh, I know. From plug Space, Dogs, Space Doggies. So the van... Have you already talked about this yet? I don't. I don't know. On the podcast, um, I, I think so. Maybe. Uh, so Van was technically my teacher. Uh, he was not technically my teacher. He was my teacher. It's always weird when we go hang out. Like we'll go out to a restaurant with his friends, and they'll be like, "So how'd you know Van?" And Van's like, uh, "Connor was my student." And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, I get. Yeah, I guess." But um, uh, he is a very smart guy. Very very talented and he and his friend Nick Blameyer who is also a Broadway uh veteran I guess at this point wrote a musical and it is off Broadway at the MCC Theater it's called Space Dogs very fun it's a two man show it's super fun super catchy there are a lot of earworms in the in the soundtrack go listen to the soundtrack too it's on Apple Music, it's on Spotify, it's anywhere you listen, go check it out. It's the original cast recording, just the two guys. It's super fun. I've seen it twice. I saw it in previews, and then they changed it, obviously, because that's how previews work, and I got to see the final version. It was awesome. Pretty sick. So, yeah. It's Pretty sick. And that, j- I mean... Mm-hmm. Go see Space Dogs. There's something, too, though, I think, to kind of have a little bit of a lighter take, too, is... a. Uh, we both are making money in some capacity off of the stuff we like. Like, not to discount that. You are, well, I mean, 
well, I know, not like, not consistent. That's the thing. Yeah, is not it, consistent. Is it consistent. Oh, no. But, but I'm getting paid but, to like act. But you are yeah. doing shows and you're yeah. getting paid. And it's good money when it when the show comes up. Yes. Like it really, yeah, it is. It, is. it really when it is. it comes up, it is. But How does that work for you? I'm at, the, I I could... I'm at the part where it's a little, it's a little sparse. So I moved up and immediately got a gig and uh, didn't get paid that much. I guess I'm just going to fully disclose how much money I made. But um, for it was it was three hundred dollars a week plus a hundred, so three hundred that was taxed, and then a hundred that wasn't. That was for food, gas, stuff. So technically, around three hundred and seventy-five dollars a week, and that was fine. That paid. That did pay for about a month of rent at the end of the day, and then the next show I did, I got paid very well, and that really covered for three weeks it covered like four months of rent that was really nice and um yeah yeah, so that was awesome so that just you do one gig and it's like okay now i'm good for a while a good i'm good financially for a bit i i have that cushion to fall back on you never want to be oh i needed that gig because i and broke if I didn't have it. Now I can live life. Yeah. It's like, okay, no. Yeah. You want to have some cushion, but there's a cushion. Like, bam, I've been living off that as my rent money, and then everything else has been what I want to do. And I actually, unfortunately, uh, missed Outfire closed, and I got uh, laid off, I guess is the word, from BXL. I'm, I should be starting working there again, but it was it's hard cuz then i was jobless then i was pure like 100% jobless and i yeah. was like but i did have that padding and now i've been fine for like a month pushing two yeah no job and i still have that that um backup and yes i've been looking security for security blanket <laughs> i have that security blanket <laughs> um <laughs> but no those yeah. gigs they no, don't job come hunting. yeah they don't come often but when they do they're good and if as long as you're not getting gypped and like scammed, because I I was actually this role I'm about to do I was talking to the director, and because um, I auditioned I happened to be in town, because it's in Virginia I happened to be in town the same time as the um, kids were auditioning so it was all local people auditioning, and I literally it was I was gonna fly out the next day I just happened to be there that day. And they, uh, I got the role, and apparently they were going to pay me like as much as they were going to pay the little kids. And the director was like, no, why would... No, what? So I was going to make nothing off of this next gig and be broke. That's but then, rough. So he was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? No, pay him the right amount. He d- did a callback in New good, York City. Pay him, the, pay him the right amount. So that yeah. was good. And... Good. <laughs> good. Yeah, not, it's good to have people on your side there. as well. It's always good. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah no, that's... Uh, there's... Uh, yeah. For me, the creative current creative job, I guess you could say, and, and it, it is sort of like almost half creative because I'm, I'm working for my publisher who published my book. I work part-time for them, and the pay's great. Uh, it's just that I can't get as many hours. I'm a contractor, so I can't work there like full-time. It's remote. I basically do it on my own schedule, which is awesome. And it gives me freedom and more resources to like help sell my book. But 
to be honest, that's not really an amazing income stream, at least not now. You kind of have to break through the barrier like everything else. Mm -hmm. And then you got, you know, your your day jobs. But as far as like a day job goes, this one's really good because it actually does contribute to like my overall career goals and my overall like creative um, like potential because I'm I'm learning still and I'm growing in the types of things I actually want to do. So that's really valuable to have. So when you do actually get those opportunities to get paid for that, it, it's really nice because I don't think anybody should or could do any of these types of careers for the money. Or it, I mean, like I think everybody who wants to do it for the money, wants to act or write just for the money, yeah. very quickly finds out, oh, shoot, that's not how this works. Yeah. Like that yeah. is so <laughs> not how this works. They learn the hard way, probably. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they get lucky, I guess. But, man. Yeah. No. I Or they have, like, a massive security blanket that stops mm-hmm. them from from realizing that, I guess. But I can't even relate. I can't relate to somebody who's like that just because I don't think either of us are in a place where that's something we can really, like, rationalize or, or get. I think... Because we're both, like, we... It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. I I wouldn't say that most people do it for the money, I think a lot of people do it for the fame, yeah, especially that's in accurate. acting and this this industry we're in. Everyone wants to be famous, man. And you know what's funny? The most famous people don't. <laughs> that it's, is kind of funny. They, weird. I mean, here's the thing. Here is what I know for a fact. If you are acting and you are trying to make it and you're doing it for fame, you're not going to. Yeah. If if your main goal is I want to be famous, you're not going to because your stakes aren't high enough. I know that's weird. Like it's my goal to be famous. Your stakes aren't high enough because it's not what you want to do. Like deep inside you, is that what you want to do or you want to be famous? Because there are other ways to get to fame. There are other ways to get to recognition. So if you're thinking that way, you have to change your mindset to I want to do this because I need to do this. This is what I have to do in my life. I, I love telling stories. I love it. I, I want to be a vessel for other people to tell their stories. I like playing characters. It's what I do. I wouldn't be happy not doing it. That's what I love. You love writing. You love creating stories. You love be, be you love it that's what you love to do and those are the people who succeed unless you just happen to be born the most talented person on earth if you're driven by fame things don't get you as deep because for some reason these people who are like oh i want the recognition like i not what is it not insults but corrections don't hit them they get insulted it's like I don't know why. Yeah. It's yeah. the most, most of the people I've met, it's like, why would they say that to me? It's like, cause it's true. Cause it's true. You like, you need to fix that. Why is that a problem? And I don't know. It, hmm. Most people that just is, need to not interesting to hear. think of it as I'm going to be famous because most likely you're not. N- yeah. Uh, yeah. 99 out of 100 people aren't famous, even if they're in the industry. They're not. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And yeah, even then it's like, what really is that? What is famous and how long does it last Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. What you really should look for is respect. You want to be respected, admired. 
Yeah. I that think the be bigger the thing, though, is like what you're getting at with the storytelling, whether being a vessel for it or being like the designer of it, it's, it's something where you want the respect because you want people to actually hear the story you're telling. Mm-hmm. I think that's if you really love what you're doing in these kinds of creative industries, like that's really what you want. You just want the story that you made to to be heard and everybody like everybody to like kind of get to experience it and have their own opinion and whether it's a good or a bad opinion. Yep. It's all part of the fold because oh dang, at least it got out there. Like I think like that's the hardest thing is like getting it out there and like what does out there mean? And how do you get that public and recognized and then the other side and like what we're talking about today is like you have to be able to live to do this Mm -hmm. and it's sort of just like those two are in constant competition with one another because it's such a it's an industry where it just really doesn't do that for a lot of people you have to do all these weird like ways around it and find like a little wedge that you can be able to afford what you're doing and get the opportunity to do it and it's sort of like a hobby till it's not or it's like a weird half career and everybody kind of is like, all right, yeah, all right, good luck until, until they're not. Mm-hmm. And maybe they, they never are, but it's just one of those things that's kind of fascinating and countless people have made stories about like those creative types who are starving artists and never get to um, break away from that maybe oh, yeah. until they pass away or, or mm-hmm. something like that. And it, it is fascinating because, it's it's sort of like asking yourself that question. It's like, is that scary to you? Like, is that scary mm-hmm. to you right now? Because we're both in a place where like, we're we're struggling to make money, mm-hmm. and we don't know. There's no guarantee that any of like the work we're doing creatively, including something like this podcast, which mm-hmm. is another thing that counts as like a creative form. Yeah, there's no guarantee that it's going to see any sort of out thereness. Yeah. I think is that is that frightening to you? It is. It certainly is. I think the more frightening thing I look at things. I'm a little bit of a dark person, but I look at things Ooh. in the long term. So you look at someone like we were just talking about Vincent Van Gogh, uh, and he was nothing when he was alive. Then he died and became the world's greatest painter. Like people recognize what he saw, and I'm at this point, I'm, I know I'm the struggling artist and I know I'm young, but it's like, I want to leave something behind that lasts longer than me. That's what I want. True. That's, that's what you want to do. If, it, if it's a performance, that's amazing. If it's a play, that's amazing. If it's something, I got to leave something behind. So the idea of not being famous until after death does that scare me? No. What scares me is not doing that. What scares me is yeah, if I yeah. if I didn't have that, if I if I left no mark on history. And I feel like that's a, what a lot of people need. Not even left a mark on history, but I left no mark at all. That's what you want to do. We're getting real existential in this one, guys. Whoa, we're in a deep hole here. <laughs> we're deep. We're pretty deep. Yeah, we're talking about death <laughs> and stuff. Whoa, uh, man. But um, yikes! But seriously, yikes. It, I would rather. I, I guess this is. It, okay. I would rather have something last a long time if I saw none of the 
profit, not none of the profit, but like the world recognition, the, the fame, the craziness of that. I'd rather have that in the long term after I'm dead or too old to celebrate it versus five minutes of a ton of fame. Like I'd want something that like yeah, solidly yeah. lives on past me. Yeah. And I'd ra- I'd like both. I'd like fame and then doing something good, <laughs> but you know. That'd be nice too. <laughs> but yeah, I'd rather have both. I'd like a little bit of I'd like a little bit of both. I I could last forever. That'd be nice. We got real deep. That, you want to you want to <laughs> You want to get less deep maybe. Well, you want to get deeper or do you want to rein it in? Well, we can go deeper, buddy. No, let's not deeper. Let's rein her in. Let's rein her. What is your funniest? Rein her in. What's a funny work story? Give me a funny work story. Work story. Jeez. Okay. Um, you go first because I feel like you probably have one off the top of your head. I, I got to think for a sec while you're talking. I got to think for a sec too. I don't oh, have one off okay, the top of my head. Um, um, oh, I know. I, so I have I, one. Oh, cool. I worked. <laughs> I worked very. Uh, briefly at it's this place called Adventure Park it's a ropes course like super fun you're up in trees terrifying and I'd never done it before I'd done it once before I started working there and I learned very quickly that I'm scared of heights (laughs) so I'm like that was the hardest job I've ever had to do because what I did all day for eight hours I harnessed people into these harnesses and I was the guy giving the video lesson. Like, so what do you do if you see this thing? And they're like, I'll do this. I'm like, no, do this. Good. And then I harness them in and touch everyone's boobs and butts and balls. And I literally, I just had to ignore the fact that I was caressing every single person. It was wildly uncomfortable. I remember people would, people would talk to me or like those, you know, those creepy older dudes that are like, Oh, you get to, you ever do the cute girls? I'm like, no, I avoid the women. No, not, Don't do no, the women. Not do the thing that's to the say. worst that's thing to yeah, do. Indeed. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. No. It's so uncomfortable. Don't but, like um, it. Don't like it. People would ask me all the time, I'm scared of heights. What do I do? And here's my advice. Jump off the tree. <laughs> yeah. Jump off. Jump off. <laughs> and it... Yeah. You, man, it's funny how much people really, um, they would come up to me afterwards and be like, I did exactly what you said. I jumped off and then the fear was gone. It's like, yeah, it's almost like I work here. But um, as long as you're harnessed, you have to be harnessed yeah, yeah, first, yeah. guys. Actually, uh, the, the system was so safe in uh, at Adventure Park. You literally could not be unharnessed in the trees. Yes. You couldn't be. That's interesting. Yeah. W- yeah. Um, you couldn't even get on the main platform without being harnessed in. That was a big rule. So to get mm-hmm. on the main platform, you have to harness in. And that's where people make sure you're harnessed. That's where the the uh, the monitors out there have to go harness in because uh, it's really dangerous if you don't, obviously. I believe it. Yeah. You're literally yeah. 60 feet in the air. It's so scary if you're not used to it. It's so scary. But it was fun, and I got to climb there for free. It's a great workout, and you're just absolutely drenched in sweat. It's so wet. But it's a really good workout. I had a guy 
there was a guy who came every day. Not a joke. Every day. He was a doctor. And that was his workout. And it was a great workout. And he, oh, like... Oh, cool. That's pretty it, cool, actually. It became such a thing of him going to... Um, he would come every day, and everyone knew him. We called him Doc. Doc, if you're out there, I don't think you would ever listen to this, but you were a cool dude. And he... We got these new harnesses. And the old ones, you it was possible for them... To, to kink up so you could kink and they couldn't get through. So someone would have to go in, untangle them. These new ones were unkinkable. You couldn't, it was a prototype, so they only had like three, but you couldn't, it was the same technology, just way better. And the guy, they had Doc go through and do the hardest course to test how good they were. And oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He comes back and he's like, these were great. And I also met the guy who patented and came up with, like, who moved Adventure Parks and the ropes course fad to America. I met him. He was a really cool dude. Mm-hmm. That's really fun. That, yeah. that, they have one on the college campus. I, I went to UC San Diego, and there's an Adventure Park. I, it's not the same branding or anything, but it's like a it, same type of ropes course dealio in this backwoods area of campus and no one goes there literally a campus of 30,000 people no one ever goes to this insanely cool woodsy trail and yeah the rope course you had to like pay for it so I've never done it there but it's just like ah it's a cool woodsy area with the rope there course go there no one, no one does it and you have to pay but yes but it's just one of those things it's like why not and mm-hmm. it's a baffling thing those those are cool I like it um to answer your question about a funny work story, yep. I was a swim instructor. I guess I have two like quick ones. And uh, one, so I, I would instruct people on how to swim. Oh, yeah, that's what a swim instructor does. Uh, and I did it um, really? in the summer before college. What? I did it in the summer before college in Long Beach, California. And I also did it during college, like on campus. And before college, there was this little two-year-old girl and I was teaching her how to swim, and it was like a group of toddlers, and she was by far the youngest. And it was not one where the parents are with them. They're like up oh, on the bleachers watching, but they're supposed to let you run the thing because a lot of kids don't want to cooperate if their parents are there. They get distracted. Anyway, this kid was so, she was so into it. She was like ready to go, and she didn't really know how to say very many things, but one phrase she knew was, I got this. Like she would always yell that. Like anytime I'm like, all right, now I'm going to swoop you off the wall and then swing you back. You should be like, I got this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you do. Heck yeah. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, it's some other kid's turn, like five kids down the line and I'm dealing with them and I'm like kind of off the wall and they're all supposed to hold on the wall because they don't really know how to swim, right? Mm -hmm. Until I get to their turn so that I can guide them and make sure they're okay. So I'm guiding this other kid and I'm not really like watching all the kids all at once. I do peak right but my attention's mainly focused on the kid i'm working on oh, right now and i just God. hear at, at the side of here i got this and then and i look behind me and she just randomly for no reason yelled i got this and jumped off the wall and just like was like starting to drown and so i had to like put the other toddler back on the wall and like run over to her and lift her above my head and like are you okay are you okay and she's just like <coughs> she's like uh and she was totally fine. Like she was totally fine, but she just uh she's <laughs> Oh she my just, gosh. She just That's made That's got to be the most terrifying that, that was, thing. It was crazy. 
I was horrified. I thought like this sweet little girl had just like almost drowned on my watch and I, I felt terrible. But this other experience was when I was on campus and I actually got a lot of adults who were learning how to swim. And mm. there are basically two kinds of adults usually who don't know how to swim. And, and some uh, just don't know how to swim because just never been something they learned. You know, it's just like never lived by the water, never really had to, or maybe just didn't want to. Or I don't like the beach or yada, 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 whatever the reason is. They just haven't yet, and then they get to the point where they're like, yeah, it'd be really helpful if I learned how to swim right now. Then there's the other kind of adult who maybe they used to know how to swim, or maybe they had been in the water before and had a traumatic experience or something they perceived to be traumatic, and they're afraid of the water. Mm. They're very different groups to teach, totally different. And so I, when I was there, I was kind of advocating for like a new class of like adults who are afraid because like it's a totally different teaching method. And like you, it's really hard to manage a class of adults where some of them are just like not experienced yet and some of them are genuinely afraid because you have to give so much extra attention to the people who are afraid. Anyway, yeah. One of these one of these classes where the dude was, was like really afraid, I I uh <laughs> I said, um, all right, today you're gonna you're gonna jump in and like we're waiting here for you or something. And normally you're not supposed to do this. Like I had, by the way, I like I had built trust with this guy over the course mm-hmm. of several weeks, right? And he had actually successfully gone off the wall already. But, um, yeah, but basically it was, it was just a really rewarding, I guess it's not really a funny story. It was just a really worried experience because I got to watch a dude who had been afraid of the water his whole life, like it, over the course of a couple minutes, just build up the courage and jump into the water and swim to the other side. And he knew how to do it. He was just afraid. And it was like really cool to see this guy like overcome that fear and like actually do it. And I guess that sort of ties into the whole topic today. Like part of... Part of the jobs that we're working for extra money. We love a tie-in, man. <laughs> I love the tie-in. Like part of the, you know, part of it's like if you're so worried about paying the bills or going above and beyond, it is a fear that can become kind of all-consuming and really distract from what you love and what you want to do and why you're even taking the other job to supplement your love of your actual creative industry that you're working for. Mm-hmm. And that's it's really cool when people some, you know, not be stupid, obviously, like we, we advocate for you to be able to, to live and survive, but to not be consumed by that and to still like make strides. And so when you do have those accomplishments, it's, it's really overcoming fear because overcoming the fear that would tell you, Hey, I need to stop working on this and I need to, I need to quit it. Yeah. That was my one attempt at being a motivational speaker. I, I hereby ever, I hereby quit. That was I'm good. Not good at it. What are you talking about? That was good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I also you, think Connor. this was a big thing my dad taught me. He was like, I know you don't want to do these jobs, but in the long run, like, think about these are stories. Every one of these jobs you do, it's a story. This is something you can use. And as someone who writes, yeah, I have used them. I've used them for sure, and it's very inspiring because you'll you go to work one day and, oh, turns out t- two of the workers were having an affair. Whoa, bam. That's so scandalous. interesting and scandalous. It's so interesting, and then you can... It's also really good because creative people and these people who are in these industries tend to be a little like... a not above everything, but just disconnected from what the real world is. And that's with the most love. We're all, you're just disconnected. 
not not even in the sense of like you don't know what it's like, but you don't know what it's like to to do the normal things. You're not into the normal things and to work with people who are who are just like that's a big a lot of people write about school and a lot of times the stories aren't about the creative kids. It's about the the jock or whatever, because those story we look on the outside and find those stories fascinating. Because honestly, our story isn't that interesting yet. Yeah, or it's just been told too many times. Exactly. You know? And there's so many creatives who write about it and mm-hmm. write about like, oh, yet another story of a tortured creative person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Give me something else. Yeah. Hey, what what time is it? Adventure. Oh, wait. Quick takes. <laughs> I got him. I got him. It's quick takes. Did it's you? quick takes. It's quick takes with Connor and Vince. Yeah. Heck yeah. Vince is doing his moves. Welcome to Quick Takes. This is where we give you a quick take. We just tell you, take and you take it, or quickly take it. I don't care. Vince, what's your quick take? My quick take, tying into a recent episode we just did on the Beatles. This is going to open up some debate between us. I think the best solo, so after the Beatles broke up, they all went solo. They all made their own music, and there's lots of good songs. There's lots of diamonds in the rough there, and lots of... Just diamonds yeah. and lots of rough. But the best album that any of them released was George Harrison. George Harrison, All Things Must Pass. And I bring this up because I want to fight you on it. I agree. Whoa, you do? Yeah, man. You're what kidding. What do you think I would say? You actually... Yeah. I just thought... I, I, don't, I remember you saying that you thought it was like kind of boring. It is boring. It's super boring. But it's better than... I'd rather listen to that than The Wings. And I'd rather listen to that than anything else. It's a, it is boring. It's long. And a lot of it's... I, I'm not going to fight it. I agree, though. It's good. I just... It's kind of boring. <laughs> you thought I'd give a whole like... No, it's Imagine what? by John Lennon. No, it's... I agree. That uh, makes perfect sense to me. Never. Gosh, that was a tor- terrible quick take. Vince really was, was trying. You should have just said Revolver was the best Beatles album, and then we would have had a had a real debate. Yeah, on but our we hands. already we, we already did that. We already did. You know? check out our last. We episode. already did that for like twenty minutes. We did. Oh um, my gosh. Okay. No, ne- all things well, was past. Never good. mind. Then I'll. Yeah, I just haven't listened to much of the Beatles outside work of the Beatles, but yeah, all things must pass. It's good. Me and my then dad listened like to it reshift. on the way up to New York. That is a good time. Let me reshift my quick take then to say, like, on a shorthand list, these are, like, the Beatles solo albums that I think you should check out. Okay. All Things Must Pass by George Harrison. Um, you should check out, well, not you. I just mean anybody listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ram by Paul and Linda McCartney. That one's really fun. It probably has, I really like the song um, Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey. That song's really good. So check that one out if you get cool. a chance. Uh, McCartney One is really good. Band on the Run's pretty good as well. But then when you get into John Lennon, like Imagine's good, but also Plastic Ono Band. Those two are the good ones. And I don't really know Ringo. I haven't really dug into Ringo very much. Sorry, Ringo. Hey, those are like... Sorry, Ringo. I do I do love you. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, what about what's your quick take, Connor? There's not much else to say. I, I yeah. totally flubbed that. 
You thought there would be some spicy drama. Not, you were try, You were going for spicy drama, and it wasn't that spicy or dramatic. You know, it was ah, like, come on, gosh, man, darn it. But um, darn it. Okay, here's a real. Oh, I yawned. Why did I yawn? I'm so bored. No, no one gets to see no. that. Okay. <laughs> that was one of the widest yawns. That was I've wide. It was so like, you're like, Bleh. okay. I'm about to hit. I don't know if this is, will cause controversy. Deodorant. Oh, shoot. Okay. Deodorant. What about it? Okay. It's good. People should use it. Um, anime fans, okay. I'm talking to you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Uh, uh. <laughs> I have three deodorants right here. Uh, there are multiple types of deodorant. The best and the only one Where that is, is going? good. The only one that works, not a brand. I don't care about brand. Um, is the white, like, pasty deodorant. The white deodorant. You mean antiperspirant? Yes, antiperspirant. Is that specifically what it is? Is the white antiperspirant? I mean, usually I, when I think of antiperspirant, it's like the one that kind of sticks to you. Okay, that's the best. It's the only one that's good. It's the only one that works. The blue, white, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. This one, it, it's gel. It's liquid. It goes away. I don't get it. You need the you need the 48-hour antiperspirant, chalky, waxy deodorant. That's the only one that's good. I will make this scandalous and spicy. I, personally, I agree with you on average. I think that antiperspirant works better, but if you use it, like, every day for a long period of time, um, what's happened to both me and my roommate at various times is, like, your body hates it, and it, like, starts sweating, like, a ton. Like, like literally, like, it will, like, flush it out of your system. And um, well, you're just. I don't weak. know if this is a scientific thing or not. You're weak. It like it doesn't work. It like counteracts it, and then you have to like stop for a while. Dang. And you have to like pace it. So that's what that's what I say. So like, if you need a quick fix where you just like want to smell good, use the gel stuff. Use the blue stuff. But if you like you're going out for a long period of time, I and you need to smell good for like the whole day or something, then then use antiperspirant. The gel stuff doesn't last twenty minutes for me. I will put it on go to an event, and I'll lean down and be like, I smell awful. I smell awful. And I'm like, I sit there with my arms taped to my side, like, no, I cannot lift my arms. Because I'm using this freaking mm. garbo. <laughs> I'm passionate about this. <laughs> I, oh, man. And I don't you like know, wasting deodorant, so I, just ha- I normally just suck it up with the blue. <laughs> <laughs> I always bring the I'm gonna controversial. I'm going to embarrass you for a moment. I always bring the controversial quick takes, man. You do. You're better at that than I am, I think. That's my I'll quick take. That. But I That's will embarrass you. Take. This is this is I'm going to subvert it a little bit. I have to tell a story about you. This was like before oh, no. the, you were like just hitting puberty. Oh no. And so you didn't like <laughs> Do I have permission to tell the story? You yes, know, you, you have permission. I'm, I'm just scared of which one it is. Okay. Oh yeah, it's probably not that bad. Anyway, yeah, um, you you were you were visiting 
me and my sister, we had just moved to California. Obviously, my parents did too, but like oh my you and God. Shane, who's one of your sisters, we all exactly went to Six Flags on like a really hot day. And there were a bunch of forest fires and stuff. It was like really, really hot. And Connor, like you're just hitting puberty. So you didn't really know that like, oh shoot, like I am going to need deodorant today. And we all learned the hard way. Just like you forgot to put it on. And with the heat and like running around the park, man, like waiting in lines and stuff, like we could smell you. We could smell you there. I know you could. I still look back embarrassed about that. I'm not (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Shannon, my sister was so mean. She was so mean. She's brutal. She was like, put your arms down. Don't do go away. Walk away. Walk away. I was like, I'm sorry. And then we'd ride a roller coaster and she'd be like, this is is the, the wind is blowing. So it's fine. Love you, Shannon, but that's exactly <laughs> what I don't want to be downwind. <laughs> I don't want to be freaking I don't want to be downwind. It was, yeah, that was really bad. Yeah. Um, I also, I'm going to expose Vince. I've been meaning to say this. Vince, oh, I'm going to expose you, dude. Do you what? know how many movies you spoiled for me as a kid? <laughs> Vince's favorite pastime as a child was to spoil movies for me. <laughs> Because he'd watch the movie and get really excited and then be like, Connor, you have to watch this movie. The main character dies at the end. (laughs) Like, my (laughs) favorite example is Life is Beautiful. We were watching... Oh, gosh. It was... (laughs) Are you going to spoil Life is Beautiful on the podcast? What? Are you going to spoil Life is Beautiful on the podcast? I am going to spoil Life is Beautiful on the podcast. Go watch Life is Beautiful. Spoiler spoiler alert for a movie from 1997. Yeah, but um, it's a great movie. And uh, Vince was like, Connor, you have this is such a good movie. And he just literally told me the entire plot and ending. And he was like, and he was like, we'll drive the tank. And then the guy drives the tank at the end, but then he dies before his son can. And I was like, cool i know the movie <laughs> i don't need to watch it <laughs> there, vince loved spoiling movies loved spoiling movies there were so many vince you were my deepest p- sincerest apologies to you connor and my deepest sincerest apologies for not bringing deodorant that one day that's a one day pain whereas yeah. mine was a sustained offense yeah. so Absolutely. i completely believe that my offense is worse and i also I now am at a point where I hate spoilers so much. Mm-hmm. So, like, looking back, I do understand that it's painful. Like, I hate giving spoilers. Yeah. And I hate receiving them. So, I'm, I am uh, I understand the pain. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> I forgive you. I actually want it. Well. Yeah. Yay. I want to. I don't know when the best time to bring this up is, but this is, like, such a favorite core memory story of you that I just feel like now is an appropriate time to Is it the alligator? The with. No, I shared that in the You Star already Wars shared that. That's had. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. no, it's core this memory. is a we'll another wrap, core we'll memory. We'll wrap up. This will be the core know. memory. Basically, I must have been four, you were three, and you had it was like nearing my birthday. And our birthdays are really close to each other. Not that that matters to the story, but I know you had is. your favorite toy of all time. It was like this it was this green Power Ranger. Yep minifigure or like action figure not yep. minifigure um and the arm had been broken off or something <laughs> like that a while so it was like a one-armed green power ranger and you played with that thing constantly oh yeah anyway man. it was the sweetest sweetest gift of all time on my birthday turning like four or something and you turned to me in the playroom and you're like 
happy birthday, Vince, and you hand me the green Power Ranger. Yep. And you say, it's yours or something like that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Thank you, dude. And you were just sitting there like solemn, you know, just absolute holy child right there <laughs> doing like the sweetest gift ever. And we proceed to play for like 30 minutes. And yeah. I'm just playing with this thing. And little by little, minute by minute, your face just starts getting more and more jealous and like more and more angry <laughs> at the fact that I'm playing with your favorite toy. And then you said, can I have it back now? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, here you go. <laughs> and I handed it back to you. And that oh, was that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a that's one you bring up all the time. That's a fun one. Oh, dude. It's a core memory. That's a good core memory. Okay, that'll be it for this episode, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the absolute embarrassment of my life. <laughs> Thanks for getting existential with us as well. Um, yes, folks, we love getting deep with y'all. Yeah. We will see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>